This is Theory of Change. I'm Matthew Sheffield. Thanks for being here today. We've got a great program here, but before we get started, I wanted to mention that Theory of Change is part of the Flux Media Network. So go to flux.community for more articles and podcasts about the larger trends in politics, media, and technology, and also religion as well. And we are always interested in hearing what you are doing as well. So if you got a project or a website or a podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know what you're doing. Uh, maybe we can work together. We're a new type of platform that is not funded by giant corporations or billionaires or nonprofits or anything like that. No, we're made possible by people like you. So please do let us know what you're doing. And then, of course, you can go to theoryofchange.show to get more of the episodes of this program, complete with video, audio, and transcript. And I appreciate everybody who is a paid subscriber of the show that is making this possible. So I thank you very much for that. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's get into today's program. The cable news industry is in crisis. It is part of a larger crisis, though, known as cord cutting, which is a phenomenon of people realizing I have 500 channels that I've been paying for and I don't want to watch anything that's on them. And so across the country, across all different demographics, people have decided they don't want to pay for cable or satellite TV. That has made a crisis in the cable news industry as well, where CNN, Fox, and MSNBC have had number of years of declining ratings, even though there have been some blips here and there with the 2020 election or the initial election of Donald Trump in 2016. The long-term trend is lower. As a result, there is a perpetual need for the companies that own the major cable news channels to manage the decline. And how they do that has been very interesting to watch over time. There's a lot that has taken place recently, such as big change-ups within CNN, which was bought by a larger company, Discovery, and then brought in a new CEO named Chris Licht, who led to much lower ratings as he drove away a lot of the audience and had a lot of friction with the staff. And he was recently forced out for that. And then, of course, on the Fox News side of things, there was the lawsuit against Fox by Dominion Voting Systems over false allegations of voter fraud in the 2020 election that were put forward by Donald Trump supporters and Trump himself and were repeated ad nauseum on Fox as well. And they recently settled that for $787 million. The network is still facing another lawsuit from a voting company called Smartmatic. And then recently, Fox just settled a lawsuit by a former producer of Tucker Carlson for $12 million. She alleged all sorts of things, including racism, anti-Semitism, sexism, and claimed that she had been forced to lie in the Dominion Voting Systems lawsuit before it was settled. And then, of course, there have been a lot of lineup changes at Fox as well. Tucker Carlson, who was the sort of centerpiece of the lineup at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, was fired. Some people have argued that the firing of Carlson is going to permanently offend the Fox viewership base. And it is true, no doubt, that the ratings at Fox have been lower after all this turmoil. But there are indications that Fox is back on the upward path to that. So there's a lot to talk about in this environment here. And CNN, as of this recording, does not have a successor to Chris Licht. 
and doesn't appear to know fully what it wants to do. Joining me to talk about all of this today is Colby Hall. He is the founding editor of Mediaite.com and a longtime observer and participant in television news. And so it's good to have you here. Welcome to Theory of Change, Colby. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to chat with you. All right. So let's kind of set the table here with some larger context. I think when people have discussions about cable news ratings, uh, a lot of times they don't really understand how the industry works and how it's measured and also how cable news fits in the larger uh, rubric of cable paid for television. So overall, I think the number one thing for people to understand about this is that cable news just actually isn't that popular. People, like any given show that somebody's watching, even the most popular one, like we have a country of 300 and what, 60 million people. And the top rated show, if they're lucky, is 3 million people, right? Right, I'd say on a good day, maybe over 3 million. And if you look at the target demographic from which sponsors actually pay for, which cable news gets paid, it's much, much smaller. So you're really talking less than 1% of citizens are actually watching any given show. But I would say their influence is far outweighs that because really, I'm old enough to remember when there were three channels plus PBS, and it was a big deal when cable came to town in Hutchinson, Kansas, where I lived at the time. We had 13 channels. And now there's endless numbers of television channels, but more importantly, there's social media, there's smartphones, there's there's streaming services. But still, so even though like cable news viewers are declining in size to the degree that like I'm not sure I would say it's crisis, but it, that's not an unfair word to use. They're still making a lot of money off of subscribers from, from cable set-top boxes. About 80% of the revenue comes from subscriber, and only 20% comes from advertising. But it's still the, the loudest voice in the room, to, to, to steal a phrase. Cable news is the most concentrated political media outlet. And so if you are a politician and you want to speak to your constituents, if you're left of center, you most likely go on MSNBC. If you're right of center, you definitely go on Fox News and or Newsmax. And what's happened over the last 10 years or so is it's not just the people that are watching the linear viewing of that cable news, it's that which is excerpted, the, the aggregation of third-party video content, which is then shared by websites like Mediaite or clipped and put on Twitter uh, or shared on Reddit or any number of outlets, right? So these two things can be true. The cable news viewers is much smaller than people think. There is something self-selecting about the audience, but its influence, I think, has never been more powerful in part because politicians have sort of, I don't know, lessened their voice. I, I guess the best metaphor I'd say with regard to Fox News is there was a time where it looked like Fox News was working for the GOP per Roger Ailes' design. And suddenly over the last five years, that, that dynamic seemed to switch, whereas it seems like very often Republicans are working for Fox News. 
And I think that's not just a hit on Fox News or Republicans. The same dynamic exists on the left, just it's less uh, efficient. It, it works less uh, effectively. Mm-hmm. So, so cable news is declining in viewers, but at the same time, it's current in, in influence on the national dialogue, I would argue, has never been stronger. I think a lot of these talking heads, the Tucker Carlson's and the Sean Hannity's, those people have sort of filled a vacuum created by political figures who are more into getting deals done and promoting their brand than they are in actual leadership or policy. So it's a very complicated idea summed up as pithily as possible. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess maybe the analogy I would use for this is before television times, and before radio, it was a huge thing in the American South to do what they called a tent revival. And so basically cable news is sort of the tent uh, revival of a, the political scene. So that not very many people can be fitting into these tents or are watching whatever whoever's showing up to speak in that given moment. But on the other hand, they're part of a larger culture that are they're sort of like the, the main event. Um, in, in, at any given moment. It's a perfect metaphor because a lot of times people are preaching to the gospel, right? So the viewers of cable news, opinion-driven cable news, primetime, Fox and MSNBC, they're going there, they're tuning in to have their pre-existing beliefs reaffirmed, right? So, and the talking heads are literally preaching to the choir. And it's not just that the what the broadcast programs are the impact isn't limited to just what's being said at that moment there are people that view it then cite this stuff and literally spread the gospel so your revivalist 10 metaphor is i think very it's perfect so kudos mm-hmm. well well done oh thanks yeah so and we talked about it a little bit just briefly for a second there about the the industry itself cable paid for television subscriptions, that actually is in a crisis, the larger cable industry. And through what what people have now called cord cutting, where they just don't feel the need to pay for constant stream of shows they never watch, channels they're not interested in. And so as a result, a lot of people are taking that money that they were spending and they're spending it on things like Netflix or Hulu and those are not news and sports services. So, and, and people are finding also, you know, that there, I mean, there just has been a declining interest in sports and sort of, and news itself has, people who are interested in news have gone online, as you were saying, that if you are interested in, let's say, what a given host has to say about something, chances are you can watch that on Twitter or somewhere else. Maybe right. because somebody has put it there in, in part to say that it was notable to, to them. And I mean, hell, there's people on YouTube who literally specialize on taking the full shows from TV news and just plopping the entire thing out there and getting ad, right. ad dollars off of other people's stuff. So it is, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, it's been kind of a bifurcation that on, that low interest viewers in news have kind of drifted away entirely. And then high interest viewers have been like, well, this is, I already knew about this stuff yesterday. Or Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that doesn't really get talked about enough is because we're sort of living through it as we speak, but 
it wasn't that long ago that we had a shared experience as a society, either through reading articles in newspapers or watching one of three broadcast news outlets or a miniseries. I mean, I'm old enough that when Roots was a miniseries on TV, a broadcast TV, everyone watched it and everyone talked about it. Cut to today and everyone has their own custom interests and views either through streaming service or Twitter or social media or online, it, it, it's very difficult to find people that sort of align with you. And when you do, you, you tend to sort of circle around that community. So we have these much smaller and yet more passionate affinity groups. And some of which, as I think you referenced there, align around political media, whether it be right of center or left of center. And these are people who feel a sense of community by consuming nonstop coverage of that's focused on how bad and pernicious Trump was to America or how bad and pernicious and what a horrible President Biden is to America, depending upon the network that you choose to watch. So the size of the viewers has become smaller, but it's become a lot more intense, a, a lot finer cut. And I think that's part of the reason why we, as a society, are kind of divided in the way that we are. And these cable news outlets, many of them know where their bread is buttered. And so they, the red meat that they throw typically appeals to the fringiest elements of either side of that dynamic. News or traditional journalism, as we sort of grew up with, like the capital J journalistic schools standards, isn't supposed to be entertaining, right? It's typically pretty boring. And that's not what cable news is. Yes, there's CNN has arguably one of the best news gathering teams in the world. Like they really have a good news gathering team. But much of their programming isn't just news, it's nonstop analysis. Same with Fox News. It's an entertainment program that really sells outrage and anger packaged in a news-like format, but particularly primetime. It's all opinion analysis. And people, I think a lot of viewers do not necessarily think critically enough about what they're consuming to realize that what they're getting on either side across the board is the propagation of a political jargon. It's, a lot of it is propaganda. Uh, and I don't mean in like a fascist sense, but it's, it's political speak that is less about informing and more about angering or fear and creating passionate viewers that will tune in for the next breaking news alert, which half these networks have breaking news banners up as a default. And rarely is it truly breaking news. So, yeah. yeah when I go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say just before you got into another point that one of the you were, you had mentioned the constant idea of analysis, but it, it, in many cases, it's also featuring the exact same people who told you what they thought an hour ago <laughs> about the same right. topic, and you know, and and so it's almost and like in the case of Fox, they have some people on, who are on their show, The Five, who also have other shows. So Dana Perino being one, Jesse Waters being another one, Greg Gutfeld being one. So like literally, you've already heard what these people had to say about the news of the day. 
right. quite in enormous detail. And CNN is, does the same thing that they will right. in 2020. I think they, they became infamous for basically only almost showing like 10 people ever only interviewing like 10 people across their entire network for months on end um, in Brady Bunch style format where right. no one could actually hear what anyone really thought for more than five seconds. <laughs> and so it is, it's not, it isn't about news as much, and it, but it isn't even about analysis either. It's almost more like, you know, in some ways kind of a soap opera in some sense. I think it's tribalism. I think it's people, I mean, what are the genius, the genius, Roger Ailes genius in the five is the way he cast that with specific archetypes. Like you have Jesse Waters plays the part of the smug frat bro who cracks wise. Dana Perino is sort of a smart, calm, big sister slash mother type. And then you have the liberal who is just Tarlov. You have the firebrand in, in sort of older woman in Jean Puro and Gutfeld, you have kind of the snarky, jerky, um, New Yorker. And people watch because they can identify and they can identify with that. And that show is the top rated. It's the most successful show in cable news. And when it launched, people mocked it because people forget that Greg Glenn Beck was was the original Tucker Carlson. He was the original bad boy of Fox News and said crazy things. He got pushed out and replaced by the five and people laughed and thought it was going to be like a horrible get canceled. And it's now the most influential show. And it, it created stars that like Jesse Waters is going to be the 8 p.m. host replacing Bill O'Reilly, who was his mentor. And Greg Gutfeld has his own show as well. So, yeah, I, I, I think people tend to. And if, by the way, getting back to what we said earlier between total viewers and demo. Demo is much, much smaller. So the, the majority of viewers that are logged on to cable news are much older. They're over 55, right? And, and that's true. By the way, a lot of people, lefties, will rag on Fox about that. But that's also true about MSNBC as well. It um, is. I mean, Fox it's, has it. an older audience. Sorry. They have an older, the oldest audience. But everybody's audience is old. Um, well, that's why it. Tucker Carlson was such a goldmine for Fox News, was that Tucker Carlson replaced Bill O'Reilly, and his ratings initially weren't that great. And that was at the time when Alex Jones and Infowars was getting a lot of attention and a lot of negative attention, and deservedly so. He was saying, like, over-the-top, crazy, kind of like outlandish conspiratorial things that were really offensive. And that, that good journalism, Oliver Darcy at CNN, basically ruined his career by getting him deplatformed because he was saying crazy stuff that like- Actually telling was... people what this guy was saying. Uh, right. Because like people weren't regular viewers or advertisers or network executives. They had no idea what this guy was talking about. They right. were just like, he's a nut job. I don't care. I don't listen to him. He's irrelevant. So, but what Tucker Carlson did is when his ratings weren't so great when he initially replaced O'Reilly, he, he clearly, my reporting tells me that he decided to turn harder right and go more conspiratorial and sort of chase the, what was the Alex Jones viewership. And his ratings went way up and he got a ton of attention and the viewers that he had, the incremental viewers were all much, much younger. And they really monetized the demo viewers. And so not only were more people viewing his show, 
but the number of in-demo viewers went way, way up. And so then that really was the golden carrot that Tucker was able to see. He's like, oh, so the more, the most inflammatory stuff that I say, the more people talk about and the more people need to tune in. So he's no dummy. Tucker Carlson is sort of a genius with his sophistry because if you look at his essays, he sort of appeals to a highbrow side that where he's kind of speaking in a very arched tone where he's not being literal, but it also appeals to a very sort of like deep sense anger to those who may not necessarily see that ironic detachment of what he's saying. And so as a result, he would look at sort of the rundown of what people were talking about. And it was almost as if he was saying to himself, like, what is the thing that's, that is the most forbidden thing for me to talk about it? Let's talk about that. Let's do that. And I, I took the bait myself when I was top editing media. I, he said crazy stuff. And, and after a while, it's a sort of weird dynamic where are you promoting and amplifying his stuff by calling him out? And then I think he just got too big and was unmanageable by Fox News. And eventually they decided that no one is bigger than the brand. And there was other stuff that they still yet to come out, I think. But they thought it was better for everyone if they parted ways. Yeah, well, and I guess that's a pretty good segue there you did into the uh, the more specific parts that I wanted to discuss here today. So we're going to today we're going to be kind of focusing on Fox and CNN primarily in terms of some of their recent changes, because both of these networks have an audience that's in flux and then also a leadership that kind of doesn't know fully what it wants and they're trying to position themselves amid some really new competition that they don't understand and executives who have mandates that are also very different in some regards than in the past so yeah let's since you you mentioned carlson so carlson of course as i would assume everybody who's an american watching this or listening to it would know is yeah was summarily let go from fox but in that it's it is interesting because even though it's been months now since that happened there hasn't been there has yet to be any sort of definitive report that says this is what did it and what that suggests is that in fact there were multiple reasons that he was let go and one of them i think very clearly was this lawsuit that was launched against him by a former producer of his for creating a hostile work environment she said he, they engaged in all types of uh, sexist and racist and anti-Semitic behavior behind the scenes. That certainly was a huge part of it, no doubt. But as you were saying, I, it isn't only that. And then, yeah, so I guess we'll let go from there and then and we'll talk a little bit more about Tucker after that. Well, I think for the most part, people understood that Tucker Carlson had become such a cash cow that he was sort of able to do and say whatever he did with impunity uh, at Fox News in that he really, I think, saw himself as only really reporting to Lachlan and Rupert Murdoch, which I think made for a very tough dynamic. My colleague at Media, Aiden McLaughlin, wrote a story that was deeply reported about how Tucker Carlson was the rogue individual there. And in the middle of their existential lawsuit against defamation lawsuit against Dominion Voting Systems, Tucker put out this a series of stuff that talked to, that was provably false about January 6th. 
And so they're on trial. The network's on trial about defamation against um, libelous claims. And there was clearly a direction across the network to effectively chill on that sort of programming. And Tucker totally flouted that and kind of went harder. And I'm sure that that did not endear him to executives across the board at Fox News. He wasn't making their lives any easier. In fact, he was making them, he was willfully making them more difficult. And and that was because he was sort of acting like the teacher's pet or spoiled brat who only cared about the affection that he had from the Murdoch family to the degree that it was, became an untenable situation, right? And all the details of him using the C word against executives and the Abby Grossberg lawsuit, which was just settled for $12 million, I think all of that was sort of not an excuse. It was evidence, but it was it was the reasons that were given to cover the full panoply of his transgressions against the networks. At the end of the day, any creative corporation, whether it be Marvel Comics or CNN or anything, is going to be a little bit like a junior high middle school cafeteria table. There's knives out and there's backstabbing. It's just, that's just the way there's alliances. And at some point, Tucker just refused any sort of facade of being a team player and was only going for himself. And at the end of the day, I think Fox News and Rupert Murdoch were ultimately like, bro, you can't, this isn't Tucker Carlson, this is Fox News. And yes, this will be controversial. And yes, this will hit us, but we'll endure and we'll get it back. And time and time again, that's proven to be true. When Glenn Beck was dismissed, everyone's like, well, this is the end of Fox News. It was not. When Bill O'Reilly was dismissed, again, after Trump was lost the election in 2020 and Trump viewers went in droves to Newsmax and just turned off the cable news, they were in third place. Guess what? They came back stronger than ever, in part because they were playing ball with this sort of false idea that the election had been stolen. They never really came out and quietly asserted, like, the former president is falsely claiming the election was stolen. It was not. They never really said that. They sort of really played footsie around that idea. That's kind of how they got their viewers back. Yeah. But so, well, and so then Tucker, I think yeah. he just, he flew too close to the sun. Yeah. Well, and you make a good point there with the Beck and O'Reilly comparisons, because, I mean, both of them, over the years of their time at Fox, engaged in all kinds of controversial and actions the actions which caused very serious problems monetarily in the case of O'Reilly, where they were paying out millions of dollars multiple times to women that he had sexually harassed. And in the case of Beck, he was just saying completely crazy things um, about Barack Obama as a, a Marxist and uh, a racist against white people. He said that Barack Obama hates white people, which is yeah. shocking. Um, yeah, that... especially odd considering that his mother is was right <laughs> and then he Correct. was raised by his white grandparents well the truth the uh, truth really matters <laughs> the truth really matters in this sort of like anger outrage driven mm-hmm. and by the way it's not solely fox news i mean there's a lot of msnbc people that like know that they keep shoveling coal and the trump is evil how many times can you say that before we get it right so whether you believe yeah. that or not um yeah well i guess i meant it in the sense though of talking about these guys that 
their actions were kind of seen as a part of a cost of doing business at Fox over time. But then after a while, Rupert Murdoch, he'll tolerate seemingly anything, but only a certain number of times, it seems like. And that's... Yeah, I, and I think to that point, just quickly, I think a lot of people that I know are surprised when I tell them that a lot of people that I know that work at Fox News are not true believers, meaning they're not, they haven't dropped the political Kool-Aid. They're, it's mostly a marketing business, right? And it's done very often without a superego over what's right or wrong, because as long as you're selling soap and getting ad revenue to the degree of like billions of dollars of revenue a year, it almost doesn't matter. So to the point you just said about Rupert Murdoch, cost of doing business, I think there's a bit of a shoulder shrug. It's that on his end, it's like, hey, well, it rates, people watch. Yes, he's conservative, of course, but he's more in love, I think, with the massive revenue from Fox News that drives the Murdoch empire. The Murdoch empire is not doing very well other than Fox News. So yes, he's conservative. Yes, he's abides by all this. But I, 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 my gut tells me that most of the people there are more interested in making a lot of money than they are the true political beliefs, which I think surprises a lot of people. Of course, there's plenty of people that there are true believers, but you get past the showrunners and the hosts and the talent. Most people there just have jobs and they get paid well. And that's business. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And and it does, I mean, my back my own background in in conservative media, I mean, what I saw very frequently was that and was that the people, my colleagues, they were very aware that the audience that was consuming their content was much further to the right than they were. And so they were always trying to kind of fit themselves into, well, how can I give them what they want? without looking like a complete jackass. And so, and it, I mean, in essence, that is what Tucker Carlson did with his show, because I mean, it's been documented that he was taking stories from, he had a producer who was taking and posting on sites like 4chan, which is this race, racist website. And they were, and if you look at various neo-Nazi type websites, they all love Tucker Carlson. And they said, He's mainstreaming our ideas into right. the American political system. His people read our sites and we're grateful that they read our sites and they're doing what we want. Like we love this guy. And well, while at the same time, he was mocking the idea of being called racist. Like he often would ridicule like, oh, and so that's where he would sort of like thread this needle of outrage between, mm-hmm. I didn't really say that, but of course everyone knows that. It's like, well, first of all, none of that is journalistically sound, but also how can you talk out of both sides of your mouth? Are you, these racist dog whistles are out there and you can flatly, that's not what I meant. But of course, if that's not what you meant, then why is it resonating so much within that audience that you refuse to distance and very often defend? So I think he was a very toxic force. And I don't think his leaving Fox News is going to change much because I think Jesse Waters, who's going to replace him, is mm-hmm. among the very, you know, he's a very dishonest analyst. He makes stuff up out of whole cloth and he oversimplifies things. And so I think Jesse Waters will soon be the new Tucker Carlson mm-hmm. because he'll say crazy stuff in much the same way and do it 
probably less nuanced if you can call what Tucker did nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the fact of O'Reilly, then Carlson, and now Waters having that 8 p.m. Eastern time spot, it's Murdoch has made very clear this is who my audience is. They are people right. who are like these guys, and they right. all are the same in that toxic male asshole. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to stand up for Bill O'Reilly because O'Reilly was sort of the progenitor of the form. But people forget this. O'Reilly's DNA, he was rooted in journalism. And Bill O'Reilly... over time, I think that's fair to and, say. And he, he knew when to pump the brakes a little bit. And I think it benefited O'Reilly that he was there under ALs and ALs had the same approach. He knew that every now and again, you have to create your own limits because therefore when you make an outrageous... If all you do is scream wolf, people are going to stop believing you, right? Uh, believing you. So, but Bill O'Reilly is, was looked out for the folks. He was more center-right than far-right. Tucker Carlson and Jesse Waters are more far-right, more palatable to making America great again. And O'Reilly, I think, was more of a establishment GOP than uh, uh, a far-right one. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess I meant more in the personal sense rather than the political. Well, they're white guys who come from a, a frat bow archetype. And I myself have the same archetypes, so I don't know, to, but that's definitely, you know, what Fox News is putting out there. They're not gonna put a woman of color or a man of color at that 8 p.m., or at least they haven't. So other than interim moments. Well, so, a woman uh, of, uh, white woman has never been there either. <laughs> well, Laura Ingram's gone from 10 to seven. Yeah, that's true, yeah. that's true. And I'm not suggesting that they're flatly racist. I just think that they're serving their viewers getting back well, to what they you know said earlier. Are, yeah. Right. And 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 that was what they really struggled with. And what really came to light during the Dominion lawsuit was Fox News was opting to serve their viewers what they wanted to hear instead of harsh truths. Harsh truths being that Trump lost the election. And instead they sort of played pussyfoot with they played around with this idea, well, maybe there was election. Is it wrong to investigate election fraud? No, but if you keep saying you're investigating it over and over and over again, it suggests that it really existed when there wasn't near enough evidence to show other than isolated examples. So, yeah, that's not what a journalistic outlet does. They, and, and you know, CNN is a much better journalistic outlet, but you could argue that they're guilty of similar things to a much, much lesser degree. Uh, at least under Jeff Zucker, there was sort of um, this kayfabe pro wrestling idea where good guys versus bad guys, which I think under Jeff Zucker's leadership, CNN kind of fell prey to in a way that didn't appeal to a ton of viewers. Yeah. Well, we'll get into CNN in a second here, but let's maybe wrap the Fox idea, the wrap the Fox idea here with the, so you, you recently wrote a piece, and, and we'll have the link for people to, to check it out, about Carlson's post-Fox attempts at finding an audience. And they haven't really gone that well for him, as despite what a lot of his terminally online fans want to believe. His audience, but Fox, as you were saying, they people wrote them off and said no one's going to come back and watch them. But the reality is Fox is their soap opera. And right. for an L, a 70 year old person who doesn't, whose kids never call them and they're retired, 
Fox is in there deeply aggrieved evangelical or something and angry at the gays and and the atheists. Uh, like it, they, Fox is, it isn't just news for them. It is their window to the world. Um, it's companionship. And if you're older and you don't like the way the world has evolved and you're feeling left out and or maybe a bit afraid of the scary new world that we're living in and there are reasons to be concerned about the, the us living in the future right now this is that tonic this is that comfy blanket that says yes it's very scary out there but we you we're the same people and if you watch us like we see the same thing you do and it's time and we're going to tell you you're right we're going to tell yeah, you exactly right. right it's it's it confirms uh-huh. the bias and it's not biased because it's true i mean if i watch fox and friends every morning because i'm sort of fascinated by the rhetorical flourish and how they cover news. And it's stunning how every segment is about focused on why the viewers should be mad, angry, or afraid, whether it's crime or something that Biden said or did or someone in his administration said or did. It's never really positive. And so it, I think it really attracts people who want that dark, view, their own dark view, confirmed by that. And it's a vicious cycle. And I think they'll age out. But yeah, sorry to jump in on it. Oh, yeah, no problem. Well, and so, yeah, but so they basically tuning to Fox is watching Fox is a lifestyle. It isn't something that's for news because it isn't news. Fox very clearly, explicitly refuses to report things that make Republicans look bad. I mean, the Dominion lawsuit made that crystal clear. That not Correct. just on the election, they made it, you could see it in a number of different stories. They refused to talk about it. Um, but they do some journalism. I mean, they were, I think the situation at the border is a crisis and it, yeah. no one's, and do they overly politicize it? Maybe, yeah, but it's still a story and they were, they did good journalism on that and others have followed suit. So yeah, I mean, they're not completely bereft of journalistic standards. They just editorial decisions. Some of the best editorial decisions are deciding what not to cover. Right. And, uh, and I make that decision every day at media because someone foolish like Candace Owens or Charlie Kirk says something crazy over the top. I don't want to give that person that attention because what they're doing is they're trying to troll for attention. And I think Fox News, when they see something, Trump's document stuff has barely, hasn't gotten nearly the coverage, whereas at CNN, it's 24-7. And it's a huge story. When, well, we can get to CNN well, later. But... Yeah. But, well, and yeah, but let's yeah get to back to Tucker here, though. So in your essay, because I do want to make sure that we talk about it, so that Correct. the numbers just haven't... He's gotten lots of views. I mean, so let's... Yeah, but they're not as real as people might think. So the, the thesis, just to reset, is that two months after his departure, it's clear Fox News was way more important to Tucker Carlson than Tucker was to Fox, which sort of flouts what a lot of conventional wisdom was, especially because Tucker has a very intense base of online fans. But you know, he did this deal with Elon Musk, and he has put out, I believe, eight episodes, about 12-minute essays where he's, I guess, in his cabin in Maine. And the initial, the first one listed like 150 million views. And a lot of people are like, look, this is the future. And Tucker's getting 150 million views. That's way more than all of Fox News shows combined. And of course, 
it doesn't take much of a genius to do a little bit of reporting and realizing those viewers, those views are just the most charitable number. It's like literally if that tweet shows up in a feed and it's clicked for or an autoplays for a couple of seconds, it gets credit for the views. So it's not, that's not a legit number to compare to uh, his television viewers. Um, and by the way, I think his eighth episode is only like 10 million of those views. So that's 5% less or so than his first one. But the larger point that I made, I think, which resonates more is that Carlson doesn't affect the dialogue now that he's not on Fox News. The people that watch, even if it's a lot of people watch his videos, it's people that really are just huge Tucker fans who will agree with him no matter what he says. And the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, media, I, we don't cover it in the way because he's not on Fox News. And there's a viable business model and he'll, he's already worth a millions and millions of dollars and doesn't need a ton of money. He'll be successful and he's starting a media company apparently, but monetary success will be easy for him. But being a, a, an influential commentator that drives a narrative and drives a conversation, I think is more important to him. And it's not clear that he's got a path to regain that. Maybe he will. I think the jury's too out. But so far, six months from now, Jer Jesse Waters will be getting all the flack that Tucker Carlson relished six months ago. That's yeah. just, that seems like a pretty easy projection to make. And, well, and in it. terms of influence, yeah, on the political system, I mean, lots of people watch Joe Rogan or listen right. to his podcast. But when Joe Rogan says, I want this thing to happen, it doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I want a, a bill about X, Y, or Z, or you should vote for politician Y. It doesn't happen. And because he's just a guy talking on the Internet. Well, so That's Joe Rogan, <laughs> right. Well, and he, I mean, what makes kind of Joe Rogan interesting, and I don't think he's nearly as bad as others think he is. I mean, he's just a guy talking crap who's an, an outsider. And he, is he irresponsible? Very often. But I, he sometimes asks good questions and he's intellectually curious in some way that I think deserves a level of credit. The idea about Tucker Carlson is that he loved to rail against DC lifers and DC insiders. And talk about how bad they were for America and they were not looking out for regular Americans. He was precisely what he was rallying against. He was the, his son's work in congressional offices. He comes from that very world, which he used to rail against. And that was this weird kind of names for God's sake. <laughs> right? he, he's an heir. And like, I don't want to criticize him. He didn't choose the life that he was born into is, his father was a massive player in, in, I believe, the radio industry. And he went to St. George's Prep School. And he mother, had every... His stepmother was the... Was Swanson's frozen, frozen heiress. Yeah. Right. Exactly yeah. right. So he grew so, up with the silver spoon in his mouth and did all the things that he says are now terrible. Well, but, you know, he also has some populist ideas where he thinks that the corporate America is screwing out the little guy, which totally resonates and... It's kind of delightful, but he packages this in this other framing where, remember, he, he wrote a thing, he did an essay about Don Lemon when he was on CNN, who had written a book about civil rights. And be, Tucker made the argument that because Don Lemon lives in Sag Harbor, which is this lovely fishing village sort of in the Hamptons, 
that that sort of he because he lived in a wealthy area that was mostly white that precluded Don from being a voice of what it was like growing up as a black man in America. And he used all sorts of dog whistles that were just flatly racist. And so Tucker did a lot of divisive and bad and very ugly things that I think was toxic and polluted the dialogue. And I think the world, I don't think the world's going to suddenly heal with him off the air, but I do think the world's a better place without him spewing such toxic stuff regularly on Fox News. Oh, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, all right. Well, so I think we've kind of hit all the bases on the Fox side of things, I think. Um, So let's maybe turn to the CNN question here. So CNN has kind of been in an identity crisis for 20 years. Would you say that's fair? (laughs) And hiring different presidents to do one thing or another. And it just doesn't quite work. Well, CNN is probably the closest cable news outlet. It is by far the closest cable news outlet that we have to a proper journalistic outlet. They have an unparalleled team of reporters, not just on the Capitol, but around the country and Middle East and Ukraine and London European bureaus as well. They gather and report the news as well as any outlet out there save maybe the New York Times, Washington Post, AP, Reuters, BBC maybe. I think what happened before Jeff Zucker became president, it, they were really tied to traditional journalism and they realized that didn't wasn't people don't want to tune into news unless it's a big story, an impeachment or January 6th or Tiananmen Square. I remember when Tiananmen Square happened in, was it 88, 89? And I remember we were glued to CNN when that happened. And so CNN still, like if a big news, serious news event happens, people go to CNN because there's a reason. It's the most reputable and they do really good journalistic work. But as the appetite for political analysis shifted, Jeff Zucker came in and made it more about takes and punditry and when Trump came to the political game in a serious way, CNN kind of got all in on that. And in an outraged sort of, they were a little, I think, overdid a little bit to the degree that when, before he was elected, he'd hold a rally and there would be just a camera shot of an empty podium waiting for Trump to speak, which is not news and that's promotion. I think Jeff Zucker is one of the smartest guys I've ever met, and I think his intentions were pure, and he probably would admit that he sort of overplayed that in hindsight. But it did work for him 2020, or earliest weeks of 2020 or 2021, when the second impeachment was going on. CNN, like the month before Zucker was pushed out, was the top-rated cable news outlet, and Fox News was third which was like crazy to consider that being an option. It was a perfect uh, storm for CNN to benefit from. There was the election, there was Trump's claims of the false election. There was the first impeachment was still sort of processing. Then of course there was January 6th. All these things were like perfect fodder for CNN to cover. And then Zucker was pushed out, I think for corporate reasons. The pretext of having an undisclosed relationship was, you know, much like what we said earlier, like, with Tucker Carlson, like, yes, that was like he that was the letter of the law. But I think he was pushed out because the new corporate 
ownership, in particular David Zaslav and John Malone, were like, we want CNN to evolve to a place that's more dispassionate about parties, less Trump-focused. We needed to make it a friendlier place where reasonable Republicans can come on the air. And so that's what Chris Licht was charged to do. And Yeah. Well, sorry, and and let me just interject to say that David Zaslav is... So he's not doesn't technically have a title, if I remember right, with CNN. But no, he's the, the CEO company. of yeah, yeah. Of, of Warner uh, Brothers Discovery. Yeah, yeah. But he also is a major Trump donor and Republican donor, and so yeah, and so and it it is this weird dynamic that he did sort of interpose because in in the on the one hand, I actually am kind of sympathetic that I did think that CNN was obsessed with Trump under Zucker and made everything about Trump, whether it was not really related to him necessarily at all. And all the shows, every single block almost was about Trump. And I think people and the ratings, generally speaking, on a day-to-day basis, kind of were showing that people were not as interested in hearing about him all the time. Right. Um, and and so, like, I'm sympathetic to that. But then on the other hand, they also, I, I think it's clear that he it's there's this weird dynamic that you've got all these channels out there that are saying well we're doing mainstream journalism right we're not trying to take a side or whatever and you've got one channel msnbc that's like no we are taking a side on the left and we're pursuing a left audience now whether they're trying to get maybe further left i don't think that's they actually kind of go against that type of, of socialist type stuff sometimes but there's kind of this mad rush weird rush to get these mythical republican viewers who don't exist like there are people in other and there are people out there who are sort of tangential republicans moderate republicans they don't watch the news though um well, like I, they're your person who's working 60 hours a week at a law firm or something they don't have so time I for just, tv so I just, a good friend of mine from college was in New York out of the blue and I met him for a drink. We ended up having dinner. He is what you just described. He works 60 hours at a law firm and he lives in suburban Kansas City. And we talked a little bit about politics and he just sort of said, honestly, I, I can't do it anymore. It's, I feel like it doesn't matter and it's just this game and I just kind of checked out. And that's not just a moderate Republican, Rockefeller Republican point of view. I have dear friends here in Brooklyn, in Brownstone, Brooklyn, who are active Democratic donors and pretty progressive, and they're probably center left. They have the same exact take. And they're like, ah, oh, just it's so exhausting and I can't. And so again, I go back to what I said earlier, that the current, what's broken, I think, is that the cable news industry is fomenting, is trying to draw viewers to, by appealing to the extremes, the most P2 most passionate viewers, but are also driving away people that are sort of the most reasonable. My dear friend and colleague, Dan Abrams, calls it the minimalized, moderate majority. And I think that's a real thing. I think there's a lot, there's a big swath of people in the middle on both sides, but are centrist on both sides that don't feel that they're served well. I mean, News Nation is where I'm a contributor at News Nation. That's our mission. And and what I like about it is you never know what you're going to get. Back to CNN, when early in the Trump administration, it was actually really good because they would have 
Republican officials that now you only really see on Fox News, but you'd have Lindsey Graham or John Kennedy or even Ted Cruz would be on CNN and being interviewed by really top tier interviewers like Chris Cuomo or Alison Camerata or John Berman. And it was a really thoughtful, meaningful discussion that made everything better. And then Trump went ham, went off on CNN and said it was fake news. And it, all of those reasonable Republicans who love to be on TV and get their message out and raise donations, they stopped going on CNN. And I wrote a column when Chris Licht replaced Jeff Zucker to say the first most important thing he can do is get reasonable Republicans back on the air because I think we miss a meaningful dialogue between two sides because right now, as we had said earlier in the podcast in this interview, that rarely do you get a thoughtful conversation between two different points of view. And Fox News does that on occasion, but they've done it less. MSNBC almost never has anyone from the right on their network, well, that's which I think is a shame. They won't go on it. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, well, it's, uh, again, I mean, correct. I wish they would. I think Ari Melber has had some success with some mm-hmm. people on, and he gives a good, fair interview. But yeah, so just, there's a reason. Yeah, like when he when they show up on his show, he actually makes them answer the questions, and well, and, and, and they don't and want he, that. <laughs> well, but he who did he have on that I thought the interview was just a tour de force where. He, I can't recall who it was, but I remember recently watching it and it was like, it was Peter Navarro. And it was just like, it was just a fascinating conversation. I'm not a Peter Navarro fan, but Ari Melber cross-examined him in a way that I thought served everyone very well. Another example, Gavin Newsom, governor of California, was on with Sean Hannity. And it was the most fascinating interview that I'd seen on cable news in years. And it was mutually respectful. It was thoughtful. Both Hannity and Newsom came out of that looking better, which was like a miracle in today's landscape. So back to CNN, I think they I think Chris Lick was trying to reclaim some of that magic. I don't think the CNN staff bought what he was selling them and it did not end well. Yeah, I mean, there was resistance to it, but I mean, a lot of it is rooted in the fact that people who might have in the past been more willing to criticize, let's say, the Republican leader when it was George W. Bush or something. Um, Under Trump, if you do that, you're canceled as a Republican. Your career is over. He will personally come and endorse and campaign against you. You're dead. And and so that's and it it it, and I will say the best example of what I'm talking about here is that the any Republican, almost every Republican who has an active influence in the party, none of them will say the 2020 election was obviously not stolen. There's no evidence of criminality by anyone other than a handful of people. And this is just nonsense to continue belaboring that. If you say that, your career is over. And so that precludes, but but then at the same time, like CNN would sometimes book these people and they would ask them that question, but then nothing would follow after that. And they would be bogged down on just trying to answer this simple, obvious, stupid question, but never point out, well, why is it that you won't answer? Let's talk about that. They well, wouldn't I mean, do that either. 
Well, people are afraid. Trump is like this abusive father who to the Republican Party, and they're afraid of angering him. Trump did his first journalistic interview in three, like a proper journalistic interview with Brett Baer, yeah. Fox News, and Brett Baer did an amazing job. And Brett Baer told him he did lose the election. And this yeah, happened no in yeah. June of 2023, three years after, like two and a half years after the election actually happened. And that was the first one. I mean, I guess Caitlin Collins said the same thing to his face during that town hall. But it's shocking to me how few, and Trump had been on with Hannity a number of times. He'd been on with Tucker Carlson. He'd done countless interviews on Newsmax. All of them just sort of pretended that his baseless claim of a stolen election was crazy. And it was like Emperor's Got No Clothes thing. Like it's, it was like really like how are you? How are we not yelling that the former the leader of the GOP is still that wanna crazy? Like Joni Goldberg said it on the Fox 2000, the end of 2021. He said Trump is trying to steal the election by claiming that the election was stolen. And shortly thereafter, Joni Goldberg was shown the door at Fox News because yeah. Fox News. One, it didn't want to tell their viewers the what they didn't want to hear. And yeah. it, in, in this case, it was the truth. And it shows that in that instance, with Fox News was truly a political marketing entity and not a news one. And I'm sure Fox News executives would say, are what we doing any different from what MSNBC and or CNN do? And you know, I would argue yes and no. Yes, they are different, but also they're not as effective <laughs> as they are. So Fox News is maybe just better at it and therefore yeah well and but it's also that when you look at the ecosystem across left and right there are no outposts of moderate right they no. don't exist they don't exist and whereas there are plenty of people with lots of money lots of power on the center left who have no problem publicly attacking bernie sanders or any of these other progressive caucus members and saying they're nuts or they're making it easy for the Republicans. Like there actually is real intra left debate. It's right. pretty vigorous. And there is no intra right debate. Not well, really, the, I mean, because you I, get canceled if you try to do it. <laughs> the, I mean, I've the GOP civil war is the slowest burning war ever. And it's something there's been at first it was the Tea Party versus the sort of establishment GOP. And then the Tea Party sort of was co opted by corporate. PACs and really sort of evolved into the Make America Great Again movement and Trump. We kind of co-opted that. The tension is still there, right? I mean, and you look at the current slate, I mean, Chris Christie is as close to a moderate kind of Rockefeller Republican as we've seen in a long time. Mitt Romney, as governor of Massachusetts, was very much a center-right governor, but to get the nomination for president, he had to throw so much red meat to the far right that when he was running for president, he was effectively painted as a way more conservative than he was, I think. It was proven to be both as governor and as, as he served as a senator, and I think a pretty strong voice of reason on a lot of issues. So like he's kind of an iconoclast. And so should there, my father was a proud Rockefeller Republican. My mother was a big campaign for Carter. And I've long joked that the most effective Republican president we've had in recent memory was Barack Obama, who was only slightly better than Republican President Bill Clinton. Of course, they were Democrats, but they governed in a way that 
was probably more similar to moderate Republicans on a lot of issues than, than I know a lot of progressive Democrats were not very pleased with, especially with foreign policy. So, mm. yeah, the, I think the partisan spectrum is all screwy. It's upside down. Yeah. Um, well, well, so, yeah, I mean, we are basically in this environment where the Democratic Party contains basically the entire political spectrum. And the Republican Party contains like this rump, sort of reactionary Christian faction that is sort of loosely aligned with kind of nihilistic libertarian types who just hate everything and think nothing's... I mean, there's this podcast out there that is now kind of receded into its own little world, the No Agenda podcast, right. or Joe Rogan. These people, they don't, they don't believe anything's real. Uh, right. And but and and so that's basically the Republican electorate is those two groups of people, and nobody and and there are people there still are percentages of people with moderate Republican viewpoints, but they don't stand up for themselves. Like Chris Christie is the first person to actually be saying, "Look, guys, we have a serious problem here, not just with Trump, but we need to actually be willing to have policies and tell the truth to the public." I think future historians will be very, future historians are going to be very kind to Chris Christie because he's clearly strapping on a suicide vest and going in to take out Trump because he's a litigator and he's going in and he's saying all the things that he's basically claiming the emperor's got no clothes. And the only way Trump can contend with that is to try to avoid him and pretend that he doesn't exist and not engage in a debate. So it'll be very yeah. interesting to see how the GOP debates unfold I think there's a decent chance, I don't know if it's a likely chance, but I think there's a decent chance that the next, the winner of the next election will be neither Trump or Biden. I think Biden is old, and I think Trump is damaged goods for a ton of reasons. And it doesn't, I don't know who it would be, but it could just as easily be Tim Scott with a positive message as it is Gavin Newsom coming out from behind. Who knows? I mean, most likely, I think it'll be Biden Trump, but, yeah. you know. It's not going to be DeSantis, though, I don't think, because, I mean, DeSantis yeah. is basically some people uh, before he really started campaigning at the, on the national stage, they were like, oh, this is Trump 2.0. And my response was, no, this is Ted Cruz 1.1. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. And when you look that's at really who he hired, that's who he hired is all these people who ran Ted Cruz's loser right. campaign that right. went, into, went nowhere and just was mocked across the political spectrum. And Ron DeSantis thinks those people are smart. <laughs> right. so that's right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's early to say, but I don't I don't think DeSantis, I, I'm going to keep my powder dry, but I do think that concerns that he may not have charisma are founded. And it's one thing to attack reporters, but I think if he's going to try to be a kinder Trump, that's going to fail. And a younger Trump, I should say. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah. go ahead. Oh, no, it's also, it's his strategy is just completely incoherent as well, because Trump, that what they don't understand is that you cannot get to the further right of Trump because the far right, like literal Nazis love Trump. So the only, so it basically, you're going to, you're going to, you, in order to get further to the right than Trump and get, get those people on your side, you're going to literally have to say, I'm going to create 
concentration camps for immigrants and put them there and, and then throw them into the ocean. That's basically the only way you can get to the further right. Well, so we saw that just this week when the war room, DeSantis war room campaign mm -hmm. put out this anti-Trump, anti-LGBTQ video that tried to outflank Trump's position on LGBTQ rights mm -hmm. on the right. And it came across as pretty hateful and homophobic. And Republicans were even saying, this is bad. And they were trying to do it in a clever, like, meme, funny, like, Trumpian internet meme way. And it totally backfired. And by the way, I think his anti-woke messaging is effective. I think there's a lot of people out there who think that we've gone too far with how we've politicized identity politics. I think that resonates with a lot of moderates. But to do it in the way that he did it, that came across as sort of hateful and otherizing these people... Mm -hmm. It wasn't good. And I assume that he saw it and said, that's great. Let's go with it. So yeah. I don't think he has great judgment. And yeah. Trump is a performer and a charmer. And people forget that more than anything else. I'm not saying that I'm charmed by him. I'm just saying that he yeah. knows what he's doing because he's been in front of the camera for a long, 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 long time. And that's a power. Yeah, I think, yeah, people on the left, they do underestimate that about him. That, you know, Donald Trump actually is, he can be funny. Like, there's no oh, question about it. He's a marketing genius. He's a media genius. I think he's an evil genius in a lot of ways. I think he uses his powers yeah. for bad, or rather, he uses his power for self-gain. Right? But he's it's also self-deprecating self as well. Like, that's... Ron DeSantis definitely is not that. There's exactly one thing right. he's not, is that. And that's, that is, I think, in a lot of ways... Because uh, Trump is both a outrageous self-promoter, but he also makes fun of himself. And right. that's, like, his secret power... He's in on his own joke, right? He's yeah. in on his own joke. Not when he's speaking to a rally, but yeah, he's a performer. He knows when he's performing. And I think that's, he's no dummy. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, so let, let's maybe just wrap with, so the CNN, they don't have a president right now as of this recording. And do they, like, do they know what, they, is it even possible for CNN to be number one in, a, in the ratings on a perpetual day-to-day -day basis? I don't think it is. It, I, I, I don't think CNN, it, it's possible. I don't think CNN's goal is to be number one in ratings. I think what CNN's goal under Jeff Zucker and Chris Licht was to be the most reliable, trustworthy outlet. And I think both, I know Chris Licht in particular, his mission was to try to, pull CNN out of what he called the ghetto of cable news. He took a network that he saw was a gut reno that he wanted to rebuild and get incremental ad dollars by making it a more reputable brand. Unfortunately, his staff did not buy it. And I think the, the staff at CNN are all very still much in love with the idea of the CNN that Jeff Zucker built before, before Chris Licht. And so the DNA of CNN is very much still CNN and, and the collective of three or four co-CEOs. I don't think there's one person shining through that's going to give the mission. I think they're just going to go back to the muscle memory of what we saw. Now, to their advantage, we're entering a really great news cycle, right? We're entering the 2024 campaign. There's going to be debates. There's going to be more indictments of Trump. The Georgia indictment is a real one. I think Jack Smith probably has another and indictment. The trial, on. The actual trial. Yeah, and then the trials that follow. So, and when real news happens, and not just pontificating about how 
Dylan Mulvaney is ruining American beer and made up outrage stories or gas stoves being outlawed, whatever it may be, um, CNN shines, right? That's where CNN does their best. So I think I could see them being kind of biding their time. They still have a ton of very talented people there, on-air, producers, all the way around. Are, are, are they sometimes a little bit in their own CNN bubble? Yes, of course. But that's no different than the MSNBC bubble or the Fox News bubble. I mean, the bubbles are very, very different, but that's the way these companies work. And I'd like to think that CNN has a broader sensibility for uh, an outlet that has a bubble, but I guess time will tell. And I, I personally would rather have reasonable Republicans on CNN debating than predictable Adam Kinzinger. I respect and admire him a lot, but I don't need to know his point of view about every single issue because I already know it, right? Like he's going to blame Trump and he's going to blame the far right Republican Party. And there's nothing about that that's unique or scarce. And that's what I learned when I used to produce TV. Fred Graver was my executive producer of VH1's Best Week Ever. It's the scarcity, it's the unique, it's the close observation that people really tune into. And I think if CNN can sort of go back to what is good TV, they'll be very well served by that. And good TV will be a variety of voices and not just the same people saying the same thing over and over again. Which by the way, yeah. I feel like I'm the same person saying the same thing over and over again on this mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I, it's definitely true. Like the cable news needs to open up to a lot more different voices and people because there there are people who have a lot of interesting things to say, whatever their viewpoint is. But the party, they don't fit into the traditional party coalitions. And so no. they don't get put forward. And like That's we right. don't hear much from, let's say, a liberal Christian viewpoint or a, well, and you don't have a lot of socialist voices that you don't see those on the air. And these are things that are worth hearing from and, or like a secular conservative, like where these voices don't exist and uh, in the, on the TV dial, but they're right. there in the country. Like there are it's, people with these uh, ideas. As a thought exercise, I've always thought if Bernie Sanders had been able to reach Trump's audience, because Bernie Sanders' message of populism and helping sort of lower class people through like a democratic socialist approach really should have an, appealed to the Trump base, just minus the nativism and the xenophobia, right? So I do think that it's not just a flat spectrum, partisan spectrum, it's more of a circle. And I think there, if the two ends of what we think of flat spectrum ever looked the other way and connected, that would be a very powerful working class, socialist, populist voting block, right? And I think that if that, whatever candidate figures out how to unlock that without being nativist and xenophobic, I think that's an, I think that's a futuristic approach. Could be a third party. I don't think third parties can exist because their assistance not allowing that, but maybe that's what CNN should look into. Yeah, well, there you go. It's been a good chat here, Colby. We've been talking today with Colby Hall. He is uh, the founding editor of Mediaite, and he's on Twitter at Colby, C-O-L-B-Y-H-A-L. Thanks for being here. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. So that is the program for today. I appreciate everybody for joining us. And you can, of course, go to theoryofchange.show to get more episodes. You can get the audio, video, and transcripts of all the episodes there. In order to keep things sustainable, some of the content is available only to paid subscribers. So, and I appreciate everybody who is doing that. Thank you very much. 
for that. And if you are a fan of the show, you can also, I do encourage you to go to the Flux website. That's flux.community. Theory of Change is part of that. And we're going to be doing uh, several other interesting new endeavors in the coming weeks and months. More podcasts and um, other hopefully interesting things to you. So I encourage everybody to do that. So go to flux.community and I appreciate everybody who is subscribing to the show and supporting us that way. And if you want to support in a non-financial way, you can go to iTunes or other places and give a nice review or subscribe on YouTube as well. If you're watching on there, Um, just click the notification or subscribe and notification so you can get notified whenever there's a new episode of this program. So thank you very much. And I will see you next time.